Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon shares a message entitled, The Next Generation. So often, we think of the next generation as merely a separation of ages. But the next generation of believers is anyone that God wants to bring into His kingdom, whether they are 5 or 95. Well, <clears throat> real quick, uh, as usual, I just have a couple of things I want to mention to you before we jump into the message. Um, the first is that this past Monday was our one year, the one-year anniversary of us starting Sunday services this past Monday. So we made it a year. Yee! You know, that's good stuff. So, but it's exciting and it is awesome to look around and see so many people, so many new faces each week. It's absolutely incredible. I, I believe that though we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do in this community and not just through Connection Church, but through all the ministries and, and through all the churches that are passionately pursuing Christ and, and trying truly to bring people into the kingdom of God. I believe we'll see, see some awesome things. With that in mind, I want to ask you, as I did last week, to continue to pray. Um, continue praying for us. We're looking at the possibility of going to two services or doing something so that we can better accommodate new people. We don't want to plan for who's here. We want to plan for who's coming. And so we believe that God has more people he wants to bring into the kingdom, more people that are in the kingdom. He needs to be encouraged. And so we want you to pray and just help us seek God's will on what that is that we need to do in order to take the next step in the vision. I don't want to settle here. Do you? No, I, I believe that there's a, a greater call and a greater mission for this church. And so be praying with, that, with, uh, with us for that, please. Um, one thing I do want to tell you about is our vision meeting. Listen, we, we decided, you know, we, we used to call it a membership class, but that sounds more like you're joining a country club than a church and becoming a part of the body of Christ. So we want to invite you to a vision class that we're having. It's February the 27th from 9 to 12. If you're interested in making this your church home, I strongly encourage you to do that. Um, if you want to be a part of this church family, we just want you to hear the vision. This is not for us as much as it is for you so that you know what you're getting into. Um, and, and kind of where we're headed. Um, so if you will, February the 27th, there's a sign-up sheet in the back just so we'll know how much food to, to prepare and that kind of thing because it'll be from 9 to 12 and then we'll feed you lunch. So um, you've got it really good. The first time we did it, we did four Sunday afternoons. So it took a whole month to get through it. The next time we did it, we did it from 9 to 2. We are becoming more efficient. So we get it done now from 9 to 12 and then we'll feed you and, and you can go home to your families and do all the fun chores around your house. Um, the, uh, the last thing I want to tell you is, is one thing that we, we have about anywhere from 25 to 30 children typically over in the other building. And, uh, you know, th there seems to always be um, a need for volunteers and, and for uh, uh, ministers to go over there, uh, parts, people in the body of Christ to go over and to love on these children. And I just want to tell you that we filled up an entire calendar this week with people who volunteered um, and have volunteered to work over there in that area. And, and I just say thank you. And, and just I so appreciate you being willing to give your time over there. Those of you who have volunteered, are volunteering, and, and helping over there, thank you so much. We filled out the entire year of 2010 with people. Nobody's going to have to serve over there more than once a month, so you'll get to be a part of what the church is doing. And, and I consider it a great privilege that we have the opportunity to pour into these kids over in this other building. I mean, listen, if we can't pass our faith on to them, then we're in a big mess. Would you agree? 
Amen. Uh, Christianity, as I've heard it said, is one generation from extinction. If we don't pass it to the next generation, then we're in big trouble. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who are being a part of that. We can always use more. So if you're interested in doing that, then uh, just let us know. We'll get you plugged in in that area. I want to read to you. We're going to go ahead and get in the message now. I want to read to you uh, a little bit of scripture. It's a little bit lengthy. But uh, I want to read it to you, then I want to talk to you. It's actually in three different places. It's in Deuteronomy uh, 11, Joshua 24, and Judges 2. And so you can go ahead and kind of be thumbing through, finding those places. The first one I want to read is Deuteronomy 11, 1 through 7, and then 18 through 21. Deuteronomy 11, 1 says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to his horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. And then over in verse uh, 18, it says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers. As many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And then let's flip over real quick over to Joshua. The very end of Joshua chapter 24 verse 14 through 16. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua 2, 10 and part of 11, it, or yeah, 2, 10. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, today I I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the word would sink deep into our hearts and produce incredible fruit in our lives. Father, I pray that uh, there would just be an anointing upon it, God. I pray, God, that you would stir us today, challenge us, give us a, a clearer vision of who you are, what it is you've done for us in our lives. God, we thank you, we we praise you, God, for loving us so much, for giving us your sons that we could have everlasting life. I pray that you would speak to our hearts now through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the blood of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Well, what I want to talk to you about today is how we're going to reach the next generation. And I want to talk about it maybe a little bit differently because we hear people talk a lot about reaching the next generation. But what I want you to think about today is not the next generation being defined by age, but kind of looking at it the way Jesus did. You remember Jesus told this parable. He told this story about these people who came and they worked all day in a vineyard. And then some others came and they worked about half a day in a vineyard. And then some others came and they worked probably about an hour in a vineyard. And they worked and they worked and they worked and and, and some of them didn't work as long. But when it was time to get paid, what did Jesus do? He paid them all the same. And so it wasn't based on how long you had been there or anything like that. And what I believe Jesus is trying to show us in that is, listen, it's not a matter of when you get in the game, it's that you get in the game. It doesn't matter if you're five or 95, you need to get into the game. You need to come into the kingdom of God. So I want to talk to you today about the next generation being the next generation of believers that I believe God wants to bring into this kingdom. Amen. We're good with that. It's it's the next wave of Christians that God is going to use to to, to bring into his kingdom, to bring people from uh, darkness into the light. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How many of you, how many of you like games? Everybody like games in here? Everybody good with games? Can we have a little fun this morning? And, and if you're new here, we don't try to make you uncomfortable every week. And I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable now. But I want to do something just, just maybe as a little illustration. How many of you, when you were kids, you would get in circles of maybe eight or 10 people and you would play this game called the telephone game? Everybody remember that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it would start out and it would be like, um, you know, I don't know, um, you know, zebras run wild in the prairie and it ends up like zebras have funny stripes or something. It's always some kind of crazy thing that when you start in one place, you get to the end and it's really, really weird. Well, can we play the telephone game today? Can we do that? Like, are y'all okay? And, and, and like the middle section, it's like, yeah, let's do it. But you don't get to play. I, I'm sorry. You actually get to cheer and watch and make sure nobody cheats. Um, and so what we're going to do is today, I'm going to give a card over here to, to, to Mr. Will and to Mr. Dana, and we're going to have us a little contest, okay? We're going to see who can get this sentence, she can't know, all the way to the back and have it right. And if you can get it all the way to the back first, you win. And you'll get, well, you won't get anything, but, but, <laughs> but you will get the knowledge of knowing our side of the sanctuary is so much better than the other side. Okay. And, and there, there's something in that for you. That's good. You know? And so what I want to do is I'm going to hand Will a card and I'm going to hand Dana a card. And this is, we got like one rule. One, you got to finish first. And two, you can only say the sentence one time. So if you miss it and you don't get it, out of luck. So you got to be listening. And so people on the ends of the road, you're just going to have to turn around to the other person behind you. You got to whisper it. You can't shout it so the person in the back can hear it. Okay. So when it gets to the very end, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Chad to go to the back on this side. And so that he can be the one who will tell us uh, what they say. And then I'll tell you what, I'm going to get Matt, Matt Wise. If you'll go to the back. And you'll be the one to, to get it from Jeremy back there. And then uh, we'll see where we come out on this thing, okay? If it works and you don't mess it up, I'm going to be really embarrassed. But we're going to play this game anyway. So hold your card. Don't let her see it. Hold it down. There you go. Just like that. And Dana, you hold your card. No, 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 no. Everybody. Everybody's got to do it. And you got to say it fast. And you can only say it one time, okay? So on the count of three... We're going to go. Everybody ready? One, two, three. Go. 
Let's see. We're doing pretty good. All right. They're moving on. This row, I think, guys, I'm sorry, but it's not looking good for your side. You're in big trouble. All right. Allison's taking her time. All right. Here we go. While we're talking, I I do want to mention, while they're talking, I want to mention something to you guys. Um, One of the things that's a little different about this church right now is that we have more people than than we've ever had. We've we've gone from literally last year um, at this time, the first service we had, we had 55 people to the last two, probably three Sundays now, we've had over 200. The reason I say that is not to just talk about numbers. The reason I say that is because we want to remain a relational church. Okay, we want to remain a church that uh, people can come and they can feel warmth, they can feel connected, they can feel like they belong to a body. And, and we're going to have to look for different ways to do that um, because it's going to be hard for you to come in here and get to know everybody. But we need to be able to find ways that we can uh, begin to relate to one another and still maintain that relational aspect of the church uh, without being able to maybe know every person that's in here every Sunday. So we did a thing this morning called Quick Connect um, by the attendants. Nobody really remembered, but but uh, it's something. It's just one something we're going to do about every four to six weeks for people who've been coming to church. Maybe don't know too many people here. You can come and you can have some uh, coffee and some some uh, breakfast with us and just get to know different people. So um, we're going to begin to do some things like that uh, so that you'll have an opportunity to get to know people because. Our heart truly is to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. And we want to be, um, be doing that. And we really believe that God has a call on uh, our lives to, be, to see people come into the kingdom. So, now, you guys are still getting smoked, I think. They're trying up. Uh, we're, we're almost to the very end. We're almost to the end. My gosh, I've got 10 minutes to preach. I don't know what we're going to do. Anybody have anything before, between now and 1 o'clock? Somebody all like, you better not preach at 1 o'clock. All right, we got one right here. We need to, let's see if this thing's on. Let's see if they got it right. All right, they said uh, Zachariah was Jesus' best friend. All right. By, by automatic disqualification, you guys win, okay? So sometimes it's better to be slow and sure than it is to be fast, I guess, because they were way, way off. Somehow they deleted an entire sentence. It, it, it actually was supposed to say Zechariah was Jesus' uncle. <laughs> Zechariah was Jesus' uncle, and Zacchaeus was his wee little friend. <laughs> now, now, how y'all got Zechariah was his best friend, I, I, I don't even, I don't get that. But hey, you know, it, it's, it's uh, deleting the whole sentence. That's good. And... Uh, so that was kind of fun. I hope it wasn't too weird for anybody. But, you know, it's funny how you go back and revisit these, like, childhood games when you're 20 years older than you last time you played them, and they're still fun. So, but any, they get it right? Yeah, I bet they did. What did they say? <laughs> A priest? 
Zechariah was a priest. Somebody was like, somebody tried to like change my whole sentence around. He was, no, he was a priest. And he was, it was true. It was just the wrong sentence. Um, but I did that for one reason. How funny is it that we start out right here with two sentences and we end up in the back with one and, and then this side, we never really hear what they say, but when I said the actual real sentence, Jill in the back just cracks up laughing because it's so far off of what they were saying. And, and how, how crazy is it that we can't get that? And, and there was a huge disconnect somewhere from Dana to Matt in the back, right? There was this huge disconnect. And when we look at that with us and, and where we're at in the world and in the church, would you not agree that there is some kind of huge disconnect between us, the church and the world. Would you not say that, that there, there is such a disconnect that people are missing the message of the gospel. We're not passing it to the next generation. We're not, we're not demonstrating it in our lives to a place where we can begin to bring new people into the kingdom. Listen, Jesus is the one who said the harvest is plentiful. Pray that he would send out laborers into his harvest. And somehow or another, we have taken the gospel and boiled it down to a religious system that we somehow think we can manipulate people into the church through. And it's not that. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about how many programs you can have during the week. It's about how real is my prayer life with God? How real is my relationship with Jesus? And somehow we've got to begin to overcome this just generational gap, this this disconnect between us and the people in the world who, if they die today, will spend eternity in hell. We've got to get to this place where they see the love of God and they want to come into the kingdom. They want to come into the kingdom. Now, I want you to think about this. When, when Moses is there in Deuteronomy 11, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. This is Moses' last word. Moses knows, I'm about to die. Within about 30, 45 days, I'm going to be a dead man. I have got to pass this off to the next generation. And he begins to tell them, before they go into the promised land, all the things that they're going to do. He knew they were going to encounter all these other gods, all these other distractions that were going to be there in their life. And if they didn't guard themselves very carefully, they were going to begin to turn to these other things and they were going to turn away from the Lord, their God, the one true God. And he warns them. He warns them very clearly. Don't turn away. He said, write this on the doorpost. Talk about it all the time. When you're, when you're walking down, talk about it all the time with your kids. Tell them, tell them, tell them. And he says, because if you don't, there's going to come a time when you turn your backs on them. And then we ended up in Joshua chapter 24. And he tells them again, listen, if you don't throw away these other guys, if you don't get rid of these things that are going to hinder you, then you know, you need to decide right now because it's not going to be good. If you don't do this, it's not going to be good. You need to get rid of these things in your life that are going to distract you. He even says, make up your mind today who you're going to serve who you're going to serve. And then it's funny, we jump over to Judges 2, one generation later, and 2.10 says that after that whole generation that had, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in their sight. Do you see how the thing sort of progressed? That Moses raises up Joshua. Joshua um, is, 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 understands the faith. He's teaching it to the people. Joshua never raises up anybody else. And then we get to Judges chapter two and all of a sudden there's a disconnect in their faith. And they begin to go and they begin to serve other gods. And see, if we're not careful, that begins to happen to us. 
if we're not careful to keep our eyes on Christ, it's so easy for us to look to the left or to the right and begin to go after things that do not honor God and that do not lend itself to bring other people into the kingdom of God. See, for most people, you are the description of God that they're going to get. And the accuracy of that description depends on how you live your life. And I'm not talking about just a bunch of legalistic rules. You know, if you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll fulfill every law that Moses had. Because you can't love your neighbor and steal from it. You can't love your wife and commit adultery. If we'll do the things that, that Jesus spelled out very clearly in two commandments, man, we can, we can live this life and we can show people the love of Jesus Christ because that is what it is all about. It is the love of God that changes hearts and begins to bring people into the kingdom. They begin to see there's something that I'm missing and I need to come into this place. Now, I want to talk to you real quick because I know it's, it's already getting late, but I do want to talk to you about a couple of things that I believe we've got to begin to do if we're going to bring people, that next generation, into the kingdom. The first one is this, is that Jesus has got to be a reality in your life. Jesus has got to be a reality in your life. It's, it can't be something where, where you just say, yeah, he exists, and you mentally consent to it, but there's no experiential value to it. Do you think that Jesus died on a cross so that you could wonder, is, is he real? Now, Jesus died on a cross so you could have a personal relationship with God Almighty. He died on a cross so that you could come to know him in a very real way. And people need to see the reality of God in your life. That it is something that is, is true and it is real. If there's anything I know about people in the world today, it is that they are more skeptical today than they've ever been. People do, especially you start mentioning Jesus and people shut down. You can talk about spirituality. You can talk about all those things, but you say Jesus Christ and people shut down. Now, do you not think that if people are going to shut down, we better have something supernatural about our life that shows him to be real. The Holy Spirit needs to be working in our life to show people that he is real. And in our lives, there's something that's manifest that, that, that shows people Man, if for no other reason, I know what that dude was like. And now I see how he's living. And I know that God has got to be real. I know he's got to be real because of that. Because he, he lives so much in us. I want to read to you real quick. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Give you a second to get there while I get there. Matthew 7. I want to read to you 7 through uh, 12. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And he, to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if he had his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
He said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Do you know that God does not desire to be some distant entity in your life, but he desires to be very real and very close. And if you don't have that in your life, Jesus says, listen, if you will ask, you will receive. If you will simply seek, you will find. And if you knock, I will open the door and I will come into your life and I will blow your socks off. But we've got to ask, we've got to seek, and we've got to knock and allow God to come into our lives and begin to show his reality in us. You know, there are about 30 kids over there today, and they're not going to get it if they don't see it real in somebody. And that's us. Jesus has got to be real. If he's not real to you, then I encourage you today to ask him to show himself real. Open the door. See, God, for some of us, God has been knocking on the door of our heart so long. And he started out knocking. And now God's like having to prop his arm up like this to knock on your heart. And maybe it's not, not, not just coming to salvation, but it's like coming to a place where you'll give everything. that you're, There's this one thing maybe you're holding on to. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And the question is not, is he there? The question is, when are you going to invite him in? The question is, do you want that today? Do you want the reality of God in your life? Because if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him, you will find him. The next thing uh, that that we've got to begin to do is we've got to make Jesus important in our lives. Jesus has got to be important. See, there's this thing that has happened in the American church. It's, it's the same thing that happened to the Israelites. Listen to me. They went over into the promised land. They got comfortable and they didn't need God anymore. And so they began to turn to all these different things. They began to look to all these different ways. They began to take the gods of, of all the people that surrounded them. And they didn't need God anymore. You know, for most of us, we can get through a day without God. We think we can not realizing that it's by the grace of Jesus Christ that we even have breath to start with, but we think we can get through a day without God because how, come on, really, how many of us in here right now are worried about where our next meal is going to come from? Maybe somebody is, but I guarantee the majority know good and well that after this service, they're going to have something to eat. Face it. We have got it really, really good in the United States, even in the midst of one of the worst economic times of our existence, we have it good. You don't have to worry about, you know, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or putting clothes on your body. And we've gotten just like the Israelites in so many ways where we've just gotten comfortable. We've gotten to this place where it's just become easy and God becomes the afterthought. And until something falls on us, that's so heavy, we can't handle it. We just don't hit our knees. And so we've gotten in this place where we just think we don't need God. But I want to tell you today, very clearly, that you can't live without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can exist, but you can't live. You can exist, but you can't have the fullness and the abundant life that God desires to give you. You can't have the peace that passes all understanding. You can't have joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. All of these things are available to the believer. But the problem is so many times we want to hold on to just enough of God to feel safe, to save us from the flames. But we don't want enough of God to fully experience all that he has for us. And we wonder about that. And it's almost like we're torn in two. And so we just don't want enough of God. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that there are people out here 
who need to know the reality of who Jesus Christ is. I know there are thousands of people who are out here. If you are satisfied with what we're doing right here, right now, then it's too small. And, and I, I want to tell you, I'm not going to apologize for this. I'm not going to apologize to the fact that I want to see this church grow. Because the reason I want to see this church grow is because there are other people who need to make Jesus important in their life. There are other people who need to come into the reality of who God is. And they're only going to do that when we see or we show them the importance of Jesus in our own lives. Think about this. How many of you have talked about the Super Bowl this week? How many of you talked about the Super Bowl? I mean, it's not like I'm going to throw anything at you. It's okay. It's not like the Super Bowl's of the devil. I'm not like, I mean, I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, I mean, most everybody, right, at some point, you at least said, are you watching the Super Bowl? We all talked about the Super Bowl because it's like the biggest sporting event in the United States every year. It's like the biggest thing that ever happens. I mean, so much so that what are commercials, two and a half million dollars for 30 seconds now? I mean, how crazy is that? They just give us one of those commercials, you know, like to, to make that kind of money off of one commercial. But it's amazing. But why is it that we talk about that? Because it's important to us. It's something that, we, man, it's a big deal. And have you ever met somebody who Jesus was that important to them? You couldn't talk to them for five minutes without something about God or Jesus coming out of their mouth. And I believe we need to realize that that is our need also. That we need him every second of the day. And some of us are sitting here today, as we talked about earlier, just a sloppy mess. And the answer, you're not going to find it until you turn back to God. Because that's where the answers are. It's in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he's here today, and he he walks among us today, calling you, knocking on the door of your heart, begging you to open it up and let him in, and let him in. And so we've got to begin to see that Jesus is important. The next thing is that our obedience has to override our emotions. Now think about this. How many of us live out of our emotions? Do we not? Do, not, do our emotions just not, uh, you know, just totally drive our life? And yet there's a place in God where our obedience has to overcome our emotions. I want you to think about this. Here Moses is. He's been faithful to God all of his life, right? He's done everything God's told him to do. And, and then he sends in 12 spies into the land of Canaan to go and spy this land out. And they're about to have an opportunity to take this awesome land, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, this land flowing with milk and honey, this awesome, this awesome land. And they have this opportunity, and 10 of the 12 spies come back and say, no, we can't do that. They're too big, they're too, man, they are amazing. They, they, we can't do this. The land is incredible, but we can't do it. And only two said, yeah, we can do that. That was Joshua and Caleb. And so Moses is there. Well, Moses ends up not being able to go into the promised land because the only two people that got to go were Joshua and Caleb. And the reason that they got to go because they were the ones who stood up and said, yeah, let's take it. Let's do it. And so here Moses is, and he just finds out he's not going to the promised land. And in the same paragraph in Deuteronomy, it says, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to commission Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And I want you to encourage and strengthen him so that he can take them in. Now, can you, can you imagine being in Moses' shoes? Here you are. You just found out I'm not getting any of the milk and honey. And then God goes, but I want you to lead them in. I want you to train up the man who's going to take them into the promised land. I want you to encourage him and strengthen him. How many of you would have done that? Man, I would have had my lips poked out so far, I would have been tripping over. 
because I would have been so mad. I would have been like, God, this isn't fair. This is not fair. Why am I not getting to go? And yet Moses does the unthinkable and he takes Joshua and he begins to train him. Why did he do that? Because he understood that obedience was greater than his emotions. He knew that if I will train him up, if I'll be obedient to God in the long run, it'll pay off. No matter what I'm feeling right now, if I'll just be obedient to God in the long run, it will pay off. And see, some of us have issues in our life that we need to realize this with. Some of us have things going on in our life that if we're going to show the reality of Jesus and make Jesus important in our lives, we've got to come to the terms with the fact that if I'll be obedient, it will pay off. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. I'll be very honest with you. Last night we were in Savannah and we walked, we were walking and, and a door opened up. And when I walked past the door, I smelled, and, and some of you guys will understand what I'm saying. Don't act all religious like you don't. But I walked past the door and I got this whiff of cigarette smoke and alcohol. You know that, that smell? And, and some of you are like, oh, that's so gross. Well, it's not if you experience that a whole lot in your life. Because you walk by it and you smell it. And, and I'm telling you, I, I would love to sit here and tell you that there wasn't something in me that went, hmm, I remember those days. But there was something, I felt it right here. I was like, wow, man. And it just brought back this, this, this flood of like, wow, I used to do that. But you know how long it lasted? About two seconds. Because I found something so much better. I found something that's so much more freeing. I found something that's so much better than hanging out in the bar and getting drunk and smoking cigarettes and doing all of that stuff. It's so much better. And so I make a choice out of obedience because I found something that's so much better. And some of you have things in your life and you need to realize that if you'll just be obedient and trust God and live for God, it will pay off. If you'll just be obedient, you'll get to the end and you'll look back and you'll go, thank God I didn't forsake God. Thank God I didn't give up. Thank God I didn't look to the left or to the right. Thank God I stayed the course. But sometimes when things pop up on our computer screen or we get tempted with our our girlfriend or or us and our, our wives, we begin to fight or you begin to fight with your husband. We need to come to a place where our obedience overrides our emotions. And then it'll begin to show the reality of God to other people. Now, this is the last thing I want to tell you and we're going to get out of here. But... In Deuteronomy 4, I'll, I'll tell you about it so, so we can get through this a little quicker. But in Deuteronomy 4, it's in uh, verses 29 and 30. God tells, or God tells the Israelites through Moses, he says, listen, if you, um, if you don't do these things, there's going to come a time when you're going to fall away from God and things are not going to be good. And then he goes on and Moses tells him, listen, the, the, the key to this is, though, if you'll turn your heart back to God, If you'll turn your heart back to God and you'll come back and you'll see him as the Lord of your life, then God will replenish you. He will restore you. He'll make all things back to good for you. And that is totally like my translation of that. If you want to read it, go back and check it out. But that's basically my my paraphrase of that scripture. But he's saying, listen, even when you turn away and things begin to fall apart, there's an opportunity for you to turn back and begin to be back in relationship with God and God will restore all the things that you've thrown away. How awesome is that? That God doesn't give up on us. That God doesn't give up on us. That we walk away and we turn our back and we run as far and as fast away from him as we can. And then when we turn around, he's still there with his arms open wide, longing to give us a hug longing to love on us, longing to be there for us. That is an amazing God. That is awesome. 
That's something that, that, that just blows, our, blows my mind when I think about how could God love me in that way. There was a young man in the Bible that Jesus told about, and he said that the young man, he, he got a wild hair, like a lot of young men do, and he went to his father and he said, listen, give me my inheritance. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm tired of your rules. I'm tired of all the junk. I'm out of here. And he gets all of his father's stuff, and he goes, and he, he squanders squanders it basically on wild living prostitutes drinking all this stuff he squanders it and he gets to a point where he's actually feeding himself on the 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 pods the the things that the the hogs would eat and he's working in this hog pen you got to imagine this this is a jewish dude working in a hog pen some of you understand that jews they didn't mess with hogs they were unclean they stayed away from them They didn't want anything to do with him. And here he is. He's so desperate and is so in need that he's even willing to work in a hog pen. And so he's doing this. And one day it finally dawns on him. And he says, oh my gosh, OMG. He says, now I can go back to my father. Listen, if he'll just let me be a servant, if he'll just let me be a servant, I'll eat better there than I eat here. I'll be taken care of better there than I eat here. And so he starts that long journey home. Can you imagine what this kid must have looked like? I mean, he had to just look like, like, like mess. Yeah, mess. He had to look, he was just a mess. And so he goes and, and he's, he's a mess and he's walking home and you know, his, his mind had to be, he's going to beat me. You know, I would have stuff like straw and stuff in my pants because I know what would have happened to me when I got home. And, and he's going home and, you know, he had to be thinking, listen, man, this is not going to be good. But if he'll just let I'm just hungry. I really just want some food. That would be nice. And it says in the Bible that his father saw him when he was a long way away and he ran to him. He ran to him. He lost all dignity. He just took off running after this son who had left him who had squandered everything and he runs to him and it says he embraces him and he kisses him. And Jesus is telling us that story to represent God, the father to us. How incredible is our God? Is he not awesome? That when we run as far as we can and every day of our life when we're just trying to to do what's right and maybe it doesn't work out and, and we're just living life and we turn around and God is there to welcome us back into his arms, to love us, to embrace us, to kiss us because of the sacrifice that his son made on the cross for us. You see, some of us, I believe today, have taken the gifts of our heavenly father and we've squandered them. We've taken the gifts of our heavenly father and we've just thrown them to the side and we've gone after selfish gain and things that in the end are not gonna matter. And I believe that what God would say is that today we, just like that prodigal son, have the opportunity to come back. We have the opportunity to come back to our father and live a life that honors him. And listen, live a life that is not just full of can'ts. It's full of cans. It's full of you can. You can be a child of God. You can live a life that shows people the reality of who Jesus is. You can live a life in which Jesus is important because you found something that is so incredible and so awesome. There's nothing in the world you sacrifice it for. It is there and it is real and it's here for you today. But we've got to be willing to turn and come back. And and I want to encourage you strongly today. There's some of you in here who are as gifted as anybody in the world. And your father, your heavenly father has given you incredible things. 
And today he is calling you to begin to invest them in the kingdom of God so that we can see the next generation of people come to know Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to tell you, we serve a God that's like no other. Moses told the Israelites, he's like, who, what other God has such incredible statutes and laws? There's no other God. How cool is it that God would lay out the perfection of his son and say, that's what I want you to attain to. Is it not cool to think about that? To think about the fact that God sees something in you that says, with my help, they can attain that. Would it be better to have a God that says, listen, this is it really, I, you know, there ain't a whole lot here. So I know what I'm working with. So you're all right. Just stay right there. You know? No. God wants to raise us up to his standards through the power of his spirit and his love and his grace. He wants to raise us up to where he is and not leave us here in the state that we're in. He encounters us a sloppy mess and he begins to work in our hearts and in our lives in such incredible and awesome ways to put us back together and to make us whole. See, if people are gonna come into uh, this kingdom of God, If they're going to know that Jesus Christ is real, they've got to see something in us that's of value. They've got to see something that, that Jesus has placed on the inside of us that's working itself out of our lives. And they see value in it. It's just like getting up for church in the morning. Think about that. You're not coming unless there's something of value that's greater than staying in bed, right? Unless it's just a religious thing you do. But there's this thing that, that if we encounter Jesus, if we encounter the presence of God, we want to get up. We want to do it. We want to live for God because we found something of value. And today I want to tell you that God sees value in you. It, it, it's the greatest evidence of this is Jesus dying on a cross. That God came and became a man and died on a cross for you. That he would die for you because you are of such value to him. And that he he would do it again. He loves you that much. And so today we have this opportunity. I want to know, I guess my thing is, I want to know, I want to know if you're in this. I want to know if you're willing to do this. I want to know if, if you're willing to have a vision big enough that only God can accomplish it. Because see, so many times, some of us, we don't see God move because we never take a step of faith that's big enough that God has to do it and we can't do it on our own. And so I want to ask you today, are you in this or not? Because we need to make up our mind. Listen, we're not going to settle here. We're going after the next generation of Christians. We're going to see that next wave of Christians come into the kingdom of God. We're going to see marriages put back together. We're going to see addicts begin to come and and, and give themselves to God. And we're going to watch God make them whole. We're going to see the least of these coming into the kingdom of God. And we're going to see the body of Christ being the body of Christ and actually taking care of people instead of sending them down the road and telling them good luck. Instead of putting a hand on their back and saying, bless you, hope your day goes well, we'll see you later. We have an opportunity to really and truly be the hands and feet of Christ. Amen? How many of you want to be a part of that? 18 of you, good. Listen, I believe it with all my heart. If we'll come together and we'll begin to live out the call of God, and we'll remain missional, and we'll come, and we will begin to demonstrate the reality of God. If he he is not real to you, then ask him. Ask him. 
because he wants to be a real, a real, real, real power, a real presence in your life. Well, let's stand and we're going to pray.